Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in this world, you have given to us peace. No matter what the world brings upon us, and you have shown us the way to, do, to live in that peace. May we have peace which passes our understanding regardless of what the world blows at us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So I, I suspect I'm not the only person that's like this, but maybe I am. I, I have figured out the art and craft of worrying, of being concerned and worried about different things. Somebody could make a passing comment to me, and then for the next hour, I figure out how to parse each little part of that phrase and try and figure out, well, are they mad at me, or were they just making a comment? Or something happens, and I think, oh, no, this is going to be disastrous, or whatever. I, I am very good at worrying. Over the years, I've gotten less good at worrying. I've gotten more better at resting in Christ. And ultimately, this is kind of what Christ calls us to in that gospel message. He invites us into this peace. Because the world is tumultuous, as we all know. Whether it be our lives, or if you turn on the news, that's a pretty good way to kick off that worry. Or, or just various things. The world, we know, is filled with tumult and tribulation. But Christ says, despite all this, I give you peace. And this morning in our gospel lesson, he gives us three things, three gifts that allow us to have peace. Prayer, the reality that we are adopted by God the Father to be his children, and the assurance that none of this depends upon us, but that Christ never leaves us. When I first became a Christian, I had all these questions. I was super excited to know Jesus, and it was really beautiful. But then I'd be like, well, what about this? Maybe that sort of undoes this newfound faith that I've had. And it was amazing how often I found the answer to the question that I was asking. The one I keep remembering is, I was like, well, and I don't even know what would have made me think this. Um, but I was like, well, maybe they all had like a joint hallucination or like they were hypnotized. And, and not 12 hours later, I was reading a book, and it was like, well, no, they couldn't have all had the same hypnotic event or hallucinogenic event. And yet it says that there were like hundreds of people that saw the resurrected Jesus and experienced him. And I was like, that's not how hypnosis and hallucinations work. Like, I could hypnotize one of you. I couldn't, but somebody who actually knows what they're doing could hypnotize one of you but that wouldn't be the same experience for each and every one of you. Um, and so it was just interesting. I would have these questions, and I'd be like, well, what about this, Jesus? And then we would get, I would get that answer really quickly. And I found that often when I'm struggling. I find those answers come without me really looking for them. And this is what Jesus invites us into this morning when he says to us, in that day you will ask nothing of me, but truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. This isn't necessarily about like your worldly needs, but it's those questions that sort of pop up as you wrestle with life and with faith, the questions that you have that say, like, well, what about this? Or even like, why are you doing this, Lord? 
And this passage gives us that freedom to come to the Lord and say, well, well, what about this? Like, I'm struggling with this. Or I have questions about this aspect of faith. But And God, through this, invites us in to ask those questions so that we know him more intimately. So that we are invited into a deeper and more intimate relationship. As I was reading for this Sunday, one of the commentaries that I kind of like to go to, especially on the gospel, is by the Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, who was about 150 years ago, but he was a a strong, really good uh, evangelical bishop in England about in the 1850s or so. Um, and he says, challenges the readers of, this commenta- of his commentary. Part of your, your daily prayer should be that prayer of, Lord, how can I know you more today? How can I know you more? And that's what this passage really invites us into, is asking the Lord, how can I know you more? But that doesn't mean we don't just share, not share our needs with the Lord. Of course, we're invited to share our needs to the, with the Lord. We're invited to say, you know, Lord, I'm, I need this thing. I, I need my car to keep running. I need food on the table. I need whatever that need is. And you know what those are. And there's sort of a tragedy in our modern era. And I, when I'm, I'm teaching class, it's kind of fun to really scandalize people and so I'll do it to you too be like well in our day and age we really don't need God and there's always somebody that's like whoa what are you what are you doing why are you saying that and to an extent it's kind of true right like what do you do when you get sick do you stop and pray and say Lord please heal me or do you just run to the pharmacy and pick up whatever your prescription is or what do you do when you need food do you say Lord I need food for my table or do you hop in your car and run to the grocery store and get you know, something delicious that you can either cook or microwave or whatever you're feeling like at that moment in time. And there's an aspect of our modern life that we've kind of just closed God out of. And so I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Please go to the doctor. But when you get sick, what if you start with, Lord, I'm not feeling well. Please heal me. I'm going to make this appointment. Maybe I'll need it. Maybe I won't by the time I get there. And then pray for your doctor. Pray that he has the wisdom to heal you. It's beautiful that we have doctors that can care for us so greatly. And some of us have great, beautiful stories of what doctors have done in the last even year for them. And pray and give thanks to the Lord both for the skill that he's endowed the doctor with and give thanks to the Lord for healing you. I don't think it's an either or. The doctor helps us heal because he has skills that he's worked really hard or she's worked really hard to accumulate, but also because of the grace of God, you've been healed. And we know that. So yes, bring all of these things to the Lord in prayer. It's that invitation to do so, but it's not, part of this thing is that in that name isn't just a talisman that magically works whenever you say it. So you can't be like, you know, and we see this sometimes, right? Like the, the, the health and wealth gospel uh, preacher who gets up and is like, I want a Learjet. And somehow he gets one, and it's really disturbing, but that we won't get into that dynamic. But it's not like, hey, dear Lord, I want a brand new Lamborghini. He's not going to give us that. But you can still say, like, you know, my car is getting old. Lord, I need a new car when, when the time is right. Or... Lord, I've been really struggling with finances. Please help me figure out how to keep a balanced budget. Or Lord, we need food this week. Where where are we going to get it? You know, 
bring these things to the Lord. And even if you have the means to do whatever it is that you need, bring them to the Lord and trust in him. But don't trust absurdly. And the message translation, I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, kind of tends to take just a little bit of liberty with the text. And here, I think he takes a lot of liberty with the text, but he also really captures what Jesus is saying to his disciples in a way that you don't get with a much much more literal, much better translation. But it's translated as follows. This is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whatever is in keeping with the things that I have revealed to you, asking in my name according to my will, and he will most certainly give it to you. We ask the Father for those things. And so like that example of like, I want a Lamborghini, we, we know that's absurd. The Lord doesn't call us to wanting lots of things. He even says, no, don't, don't store your treasures here. Store your treasures in heaven. But you can say, like, Lord, it seems like I need to be going places safely. Please provide me with a reliable car. And that's a reasonable prayer. I want a Lamborghini is unreasonable. We can kind of see the difference between the two, the two prayers. <clears throat> and trusting that the Lord will do that. But the second part is equally important, right? And so think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. We kind of know it. Perhaps we just pray it without even thinking. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And almost that very first thing that we ask the Lord is thy will be done. And ultimately, that's what we're called to really be praying. So we pray for these things. Pray for healing, pray for food, pray for financial stability, pray for whatever that is that we seem that we need. But then we say, thy will be done. Thy will be done in our lives that our lives would glorify you. And so it's this prayer invites us in to seeking the Lord's will every day in our life. Seeking that we would know the Lord more deeply and more intimately. Today, as you may have noticed on the bulletin, is Rogation Sunday. And perhaps if you haven't been haven't celebrated Rogation Sunday before, you're like, well, that's weird. Why what does Rogation mean? Rogation was a day set aside as sort of around the planting time in England. Obviously, we're a little late in here in Arizona, but during the time when you would go out and plant your crops. And it was a time because, you know, we all do Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is really a Thanksgiving for the bountiful plenty that the Lord has blessed us with throughout the year. But Rogation is this kind of brother? I don't know, sister? I don't know quite how that relationship would work, but it's, it's the predecessor to it, and it's our chance to pray for what the, we ask the Lord to provide. And it's a reminder that, yes, we know nowadays how crops work, and you can kind of predict whether it'll be a good season or a bad season, but we still want to pray that the Lord would provide, that the Lord would put food on our table, that the Lord would provide for us well, and so that's, that's what today is really all about in the church calendar, is a day of praying that the Lord would provide this coming year. And so that's one more element of that prayer, that we are invited to ask the Lord, who are you? How are you working in my life? How have you revealed to, yourself to me today? How, who, you know, help me know you better today. But also just the constant invitation to ask the Lord's will to be done and that he would provide for us in this day and place. And then you might wonder, or maybe you don't, 
why the Lord invites us into this prayer. Why are we able to pray like this? And it's because God loves his children. God loves us deeply and well. So when we read about this love this morning, a little lower down in this passage, where he says that, for the Father himself loves you, it's not talking about that love of John 3.16, which I think a lot of us could remember and we read in the liturgy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know of that love and how Christ loved us so deeply. It was a love of sacrifice, that he died that we might live, right? We know that theology pretty well, but that's not the love that Jesus is talking about here. It's the love that says, you are now part of my family, that God the Father is now your father, and he is the good father. And and it's one of those things that you kind of stop and think about, and like the sacrificial love of Jesus is is huge, and, and you can spend a lifetime just meditating on that and being amazed that God so loved us that Jesus would die for us. But I think this is equally amazing if we really pause and think about it. Not only had Christ died for us, it's through that death that he's made us God's, the Father's children. I, I don't really have the words for how amazing that is that in Christ you are now sons and daughters. We are now sons and daughters of the Lord. And so that's that second part of why we can have peace in this world. Because one, we can pray, but also because we've been made children of God and that's how deeply he cares for you and I. He cares as one cares for their child, watching over them, correcting them if they wander off, providing for them, walking with them. But then it's kind of find it funny, like the disciples still miss what's going on. And ultimately it really takes experiencing the resurrected Christ for the disciples to be like, oh, now he gets what's going on. But they're still like, oh, cool, all right, now we get it. Like the Father loves us, that's awesome. And Jesus is just like, you, you missed it again and again and again. And, and of course, we do that as well. And we get to the end, and it's kind of this little heart-wrenching, strange passage where Christ predicts that he will, in fact, be abandoned. <clears throat> where he says, no, no, you still don't get it, my friends. The hour is coming, and his deed has come, when you will scatter, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Christ knows that even in that hour that the disciples will abandon him. And there's sort of, it seems like there's this element of sort of heart wrench in that, that Christ knows that he loves them, knows even that they love him, but that it's going to be really scary for them and they're going to just scatter and run away. And we do that often when things get hard. We turn our backs on Jesus We get frustrated. We want something that he won't give us. And we turn our backs on him. But it's not implicit in this passage. It's not said. But it's very clear that Christ doesn't abandon his disciples, even though they have abandoned him. It's very clear that even though they abandon him, he doesn't end with, and I'll be done with you. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, I, you know, I tried to explain it. I tried to say this really clearly, 
and you just don't get it. And so I'm done, because you're going to run away. Instead, he says, I give you peace. I mean, think about that, right? Like, you have a friend, and you've been, like, helping them with something, and they just keep being frustrating. Personally, I've reached a point where I'm like, I just can't deal with you anymore. I've tried so hard, and yet you keep not getting it. But that's not what Jesus says to the fact that he knows his disciples are going to abandon him. He says, I have said these things that you may have peace. What if we could be half the friends that Jesus was to his disciples? He promises them peace despite the fact that they're going to abandon him. And he does not abandon us, even in our frustration, in our sin, in our brokenness. He walks there with us. And he promises us peace when the world promises us tribulation and turmoil. He promises peace no matter what the world throws at us. And in my my foolishness this morning, I was thinking of all the different things of turmoil and tribulation in the world that we could worry about. Uh, Don't do that. It's it's not a good idea. Because there's a lot, right? And I, I can't say what is most frightening to you this morning, but I know that if, if we spend time contemplating that, we will not live in that peace. But instead, he says, I give you peace. And it's peace through prayer, through the fact that we can bring anything and everything to the Lord, ask him anything and everything. And he hears us and he loves us. It's peace through the fact that he has given us love as the Father through familial love, both between the bonds of the church and from God the Father to his children adopted through Christ. And it's peace through the assurance that there is nothing, no sin, no thought, no nothing that can separate us from that love, for he pursues us. Because just think about this as one last thought. As the disciples scatter, they don't go looking for Jesus. They've given up. They've thought, well, we joined a really bad cause, and they go home, and Jesus goes out and finds each one of them and calls them back. And there's some really beautiful moments in that, calling of Peter back to himself and forgiving him for, forgive, for denying him three times. And it's truly, truly beautiful. Christ pursues us and loves us. And so in this world, this world that can throw at us any number of things, we are given peace, a peace which passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.